Praise God. Well, you know, and different things pass in our country and in the nations, you know, different seasons of trouble and, you know, we can experience lots of calamities. And of course, the Bible talks about calamities in the last days and so forth. But, you know, in the midst of that darkness, our mandate is to shine his light, is that his light would shine through us, that we're to be like a lighthouse, to shine his light, to be an example to those who are in fear, who were, you know, troubled about the events taking place and throughout the earth. And um, we've been looking at the epistle of Peter. And I want to look at another verse with you this morning that kind of talks to us about how we can shine that light, how we can be the light that people need to see about Christ and, and so forth. And so I want to look at a passage in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. This is another one that we hear quoted quite a bit um, from Peter's epistle. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so, you know, Peter's describing us as, a, as the people of God using these four different descriptors right, to call us out of darkness and to be in his light and by implication transmit his light to others. And so that to be a Christian, you could say, or to be a one of the people of God, he's saying we need to be displaying some certain characteristics. Something should be known of us or be seen in us, and then the light of Christ will shine through us. And so I just wanted to look with you this morning at, at what Peter is saying a believer is to be or how we're to walk or so forth, and just look at kind of these descriptors and, and see how that applies to us. And so he starts off, you are a chosen generation. And we can kind of understand that out of any, every generation, God is calling those who will follow him and who will be a light in their generation. But, you know, I think a, a better translation when you look at, at the Greek word that's used is chosen race. You are a chosen race, which is kind of interesting as, you know, God has called us out of every race, right, as believers. And so we're called out of a race, but, and so now we're, we're called to be a race. Of course, it's not in the natural, but in the spirit, that we're called to be a race. It's almost like we're changing bloodlines, right, in the spirit as we join ourselves with Christ and with the body of believers. You know, we may have come from a certain lineage, whether good or bad. I think we could probably all look back in our lineage and find some <laughs> scoundrels or something, you know, and, you know, but God's calling us out of one lineage into another. Now, it's not like we lose our identity in that sense. I mean, while this earth, you know, we're still human and such, but the one that matters is the eternal one, the one we're called unto. He's calling us into a new lineage. Deuteronomy 7 and verse 6 for you are a holy people unto God, unto the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all the people that are upon the face of the earth. He's chosen us to be a part of his people, his race. We're, you know, and that's encouraging, right? Because we're coming from something that's very imperfect into something that 
is glorious. That's our calling. That's his promise is that we're joining his family, right? The people of God as we join ourselves to his race. And, you know, I was just thinking about the the first nation that God chose to reveal himself to, the, the Jewish nation, right? But, you know, of all, of all the races upon the earth, why is that unique other than that God chose that nation? But is, is that through all of the thousands of years, they have kept that identity. We are the Jewish race. And even today, even though uh, the, the majority of them don't even believe in God, they identify as a race. It's like something has joined them together. Right, well, a lot of bad things have happened to them, so I, <laughs> that's a part of it. But, you know, it, it's kind of like a picture of, of what God wants to do in his church. He's joining us together, not by a visible thread, but by something invisible, something eternal, that we're called to be a body of believers, a race that connects us, that binds us. It's wonderful how we can go all around the world and you can meet people with totally different cultures and you know traditions and so forth, but when you meet people who love Jesus from those cultures, there's an instant connection. You can relate to them because you love the same God and you love the same values and so forth. And, you know... Even people who we knew before they knew Christ and we had nothing in common with them, when that transformation takes place, we have a lot in common with them now. And so we, we long for that, to have that connection with one another. Of course, we're not to have our eyes to fixed, upon, fixed upon the natural things, right? But upon the Spirit. Philippians 3 and verse 20. I'm going to read this from the ESV. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Our citizenship, our heritage, our inheritance, it's all tied up with his kingdom. And God's saying, put your eyes on that. Put your eyes upon the thing that's going to endure, upon his kingdom, his people, because we're the chosen race. Right? Out of all the earth, he values those because when we look to him and call upon him and trust in him, we're joined unto him as his people. Maybe we could say his chosen family. Right? That's our calling. So we want to flow with that. And then royal priesthood. Uh, we could spend the whole sermon looking at this, right? Because we, we're familiar with this concept that it's, kind of speaking of our calling as believers to be kings and priests with God and reign with him, as it talks about in Revelation chapter 1 and chapter 5. That was the original calling of Israel, right? God, from the very beginning, he's wanted a people who could be kings and priests. Exodus 19.6, you shall be, speaking to, to Israel in in. In the Old Testament, he said, you will be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel, speaking of Moses. God told Moses, tell them they're going to be a nation, a kingdom of priests. And So in the Old Testament, that was fulfilled by a single tribe, Levi. But in the New Testament, we are still a single tribe of believers. 
right? We're not mixed up into this tribe and that tribe. We are a tribe of believers, and we're called to be kings and priests. And, of course, in the Old Testament, the priests would offer the sacrifices to get people clean and get them right with God. But in the New Testament, it's a spiritual sacrifice. It's the sacrifice of our praise, of our worship, of our devotion, of our will, of our time and energy. Right? We sacrifice these things so that both we can be right with God and we can encourage others to be right with God. And of course, we come to that ultimate goal of Romans 12. Romans 12.1, where Paul was crying out to the believers in Rome saying, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. See, if we're a part of that bloodline, then this is our reasonable service. It's very reasonable for us to, to lay down these things as you know a part of our lives because Christ laid down everything for us. And so it's very reasonable. So our pathway for following Christ is that our life becomes a sacrifice that's pleasing unto him. And of course, there's that culminating experience, right, as, as a living sacrifice. We could literally lay down our life for Christ. But I think most often it's made up of a life filled with those smaller sacrifices, right? How do we be a living sacrifice? Is it some big dramatic thing? Not always. I think it's a life filled with sacrifices of praise, of worship, of obedience, of diligence, of our energy, and so forth. Giving the best of ourselves, the best of our strength. You know, the sacrifices, had they had to cut the fat off, and the fat was put on the, on the altar, representing our strength. Really, God is just looking for the best from us. We give that to him as a, as a sign of our worship. And we lay down our lives for his ministry in us and through us. And then kings, right? So we're priests and kings. Christ came the first time as a priest to give himself as a ransom, but thank God he's coming as a king next time. He's coming to rule in the earth. He's going to come as a conquering king. That's the main attribute of kings. They conquer. They reign. They're empowered. And, you know, as as kings that God's calling us to be kings with him. He's calling us to reign and be empowered by him. And thank God it's not just in the life to come, but he said it's in this life, in this life. He wants us to overcome and to reign. Now, I was just thinking about what I could say and and about being kings with God. There's a ton you can look at, but I was quickened by this verse that you don't often relate to being kings with God, but it's in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 12. And the Apostle Paul said this. He said, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the power of anything. And so Paul was talking about in the context, we're no longer under, under the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. Right? In the Old Testament, they had a long list of things they could do and not do. And, right? I mean, they had to be constantly on guard. Wait, that's, that's unclean. Don't touch that animal. You know, or, or, oh, now it's, it's a dead body. You can't touch that. And if you do, you've got to wash yourself. Right? I mean, there were a bunch of ceremonial stuff that we're set free from. 
And so in the New Testament, we don't follow that. But yet, Paul is saying, even though, right, things are lawful for me, like Peter saw the, all the animals on their rise, kill and eat, and so forth. Everything, you know, things are lawful, but yet, he said, I will not be brought under the power of anything. I won't use my freedom as an excuse to come under the power of anything. You know, many people in this world are bound. They're bound by iniquities. They're bound by desires, by pleasures, by the cares of this world. Or as we see in society right today, fears and worries and so forth. But Paul says, I will not be bound by anything. Because that's a quality of someone who's reigning with Christ. They're set free. They've learned to reign in their situation. Of course, that's an ongoing process, right? If you're not reigning in something in your life, you know, don't be downcast. But as we trust God, he'll bring us to that place where we can be more than conquerors through Christ Jesus in those things in our lives. But yet that's the calling. That's where he wants us to bring to, to wants to bring us to. You know, Paul made that declaration, I'm going to reign in life through Jesus Christ. And so God wants to empower us to reign in the good times and in the difficult times. Because if we learn to reign with him now, then we will be reigning with him in times to come in eternity. And so we are a royal priesthood and also a holy nation. And he I'm going to refer back to, to chapter 1 of 1 Peter where he talks about holiness. 1 Peter 1.15, he says, But as he which has called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of com- conversation or conduct, how we live. Because it's written, Be holy, for I am holy. Now the main word, I'm going to go back to the Old Testament because that's what Peter's referring to. The main word in the Old Testament for holiness I won't quote it because it's pretty hard to pronounce, but it starts with a Q. (laughs) But the main word for holiness means a sacred place or thing. Consecrated, set apart, different. That, That thing that's holy, it's like it's put in a special place because it's reserved for God. You know, some people have the goal in life of just trying to fit in. All right, just try to find their place in society and fit in and see how they can work. And, you know, and so what they do is they try to dress like other people to get along or they try to speak like them or listen to the same music or, you know, the, the list kind of goes on. But in a sense, holiness says, no, I'm, I'm not concerned about fitting in here. I want to fit in in heaven. I want my life to be reserved so that I can flow with heaven, not earth. That's really what holiness is about. Holiness is not, well, if I do this and I don't do that, then I'm holy. No. Holiness is, Lord, I want to fit in in heaven. How can I do that? How can I, if there's something that's going to prevent me from fitting in in heaven, get it out of my life, Lord. Lord, if there's something I need to fit in in heaven, bring it. Because I want to walk in holiness. Really, the work of holiness is, is a work of beauty. It's making us beautiful in the sight of God. There's a psalm that brings this out, Psalm 48, verse 1. It says, Great is the Lord, 
greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness, beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. You know, as we allow God to consecrate our lives and and cause them to be set apart so that we are fit for heaven, fit for his plan and his purposes, you know, it's so that we can know and experience his beauty, his beauty being worked in us. And, you know, there's going to be a day on earth when Mount Zion is going to be the joy of the whole earth, even in the natural Mount Zion. We know God's going to come and reign. But, you know, the the true fulfillment will be in heavenly Mount Zion because that'll be for eternal. You know, I, I hope I could have the chance of visiting earthly Mount Zion during that time when it's the joy of the whole earth. But you know what matters most? That's only a thousand years. What matters most is that I can visit and dwell there in eternity because it'll be the joy of the whole universe because the Lord dwells there. But yet it's a place of holiness. Our lives have to be shaped on this earth to fit in in his holy mountain. And so we say, Lord, do that work. And there's a lot you could get in into holiness for how we need to be shaped to fit in. But there's four total things that Peter says, so we got to get to them. All right, so a holy nation. And then lastly, a peculiar people. Of course, we're reading the good old King James here. You almost think it means we're a little odd, <laughs> a little strange. But uh, if, if you go back in the Greek, it, it means something different. But, of course, the, in, for the world, they probably would agree with that, right? I mean, we're just a little strange. And they don't really understand what we do or when we say, yeah, I, I talk to God and he talks back. They're like, uh-oh, <laughs> call, the, call the doctor. But it, the literal meaning for that is in the Greek it means a people for acquisition or a people for God's own possession. We are a peculiar people. We are God's own people. We are his treasured possession. We're his special treasure. Someone he's bought with a great price. Someone he he greatly values. Paul gives a further description of this, this thought of a peculiar people in, in Titus chapter 2 and verse 14. It says, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, a treasured people, zealous of good works. Right? He gave himself for us that we could be a peculiar people. Now, the gospel is very clear is that we are not saved by any goodness any work on our part, the only thing that's good enough to bring us into his kingdom is Christ's goodness and sacrifice. But we are saved so that we can do good works and bear good fruit. Because in doing so, we display his light. His light is shown through us. Now, going back to the original verse we read in, in 1 Peter 2.9, He says, a peculiar people that we should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God has called us. He sent his word and he delivered us. He pulled us out of darkness and thank God for that. Each of us has known that darkness 
in our lives and he's brought us out and he's put us into his, his light and he's working in us so that we can shine his light to the world. But, you know, all of that was for a purpose. We're his treasured people who dwell in his light and our calling upon earth is to display his light. Through our words, yes, we want to, to speak the words of Christ, but in reality, it's through our life. I was just considering that thought of, of his light coming through our life. And I was thinking about how the book of John begins, right? We, we're all familiar with John 1.1. The word, right? In the beginning was the word. The word was, uh, the word was God. The word, wait, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. That's it. I was missing that one word. And the word was God. But then in verse 4, it says this. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. You know, it says Jesus is the word, and we want to speak his words. We want to have words of truth. But it it says the life was the light for men. So it's good to have words, but in reality, it is our life. It is our conduct. It's how we live how we react, how we speak to others, how we speak of others that will determine how much of the life and the light of Christ that will display to the world. The world, you know, people are pretty perceptive. They can tell when someone is saying one thing but living in another. And so of Jesus, it was his life that was the light of men. Of course, his words stemmed from his life and so God is calling us to be his treasured people who display his light through a life dedicated to do his will, to bring forth good fruit, to follow him. When our life is right and he's working in us, then his light will display and we bear good fruit. And so Peter has given us some powerful descriptions of who we are in Christ and what we are to do. All right? in, the, in seasons of fear and anxiety, we are to be his people. We are to be a, because we're a part of a chosen race, a wonderful family, a tie stronger than blood because it's eternal. We're a part of his royal priesthood, become living sacrifices and, and reign in life through the power of Christ to experience the beauty of holiness so that we will fit perfectly. Right, we talked last one of the times ago about being living stones, right? Fit perfectly and lining up to the cornerstone so that we might be as treasured people and shine his light forth to the nations. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you so much for Lord, bringing us out of darkness and into your light. Thank you for your calling, O oh God, that you've given to us. And so, Lord, we just cry out to you. Lord, we, we read, Lord, Peter's words and, Lord, what you're calling us to be. And we just cry out to you, O oh God, that you would do that work within us. Oh, make us a part of your chosen people, your chosen race. Oh, Lord, cause us our heart to be fixed upon you. And, Lord, to be a living sacrifice for your power to flow through us. Oh, Lord, do your work within us of beauty, 
the beauty of holiness. Let it be seen in us. Oh, Lord, we just long to shine your light. Oh, Lord, do that work that our life would shine your light and that many would see it and that it would bear much fruit, we pray. And we thank you for it, Lord. We bless you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.